Good morning, Parkway Church. How y'all doing today? Good. I'm so glad you're here with us as we jump into a new series where we're going to walk together in the coming weeks through Paul's letters to the churches. And we're going to discover how to take a break from some things that cause stress and anxiety in our life. We're going to learn how to take a break from some things that would cause us to be unloving or to not to love to our fullest potential in Christ. We're going to learn how to take a break and enter vacation mode. And it's not based on where you are or what you're doing. This vacation mode living that we're talking about is based on your relationship with Jesus Christ. So we can all take our next step together and we can all have a vacation because we are all going to take a break and rest in Christ. Anybody need to take a break? Oh, absolutely. You, we all do, right? Stress, anxiety, worry, fear. These are things that capture our hearts and wreck our lives if we're not careful. And so today I want to draw your attention to the book of Philippians. It is uh, in the New Testament, so turn to about three-quarters of the way through your Bible and find the book of Philippians, written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Philippi. And Paul wrote this book, get this, he wrote it while he was in prison. He was jailed because of his faith in Christ and because he refused to stop sharing Jesus. And yet this is known as the happiest book in the Bible. Paul, writing from prison, writes to us about pursuing joy in life. We're going to learn some great lessons from Paul. If you are on vacation and you're watching online right now, why don't you go ahead and type and tell us where you are watching from. I'm guessing that nobody's in a Roman prison today, but we'd love to hear where you are. Because Paul models, as we study the book of Philippians, Paul models for us what joy looks like in real life. Because life isn't always easy, life isn't always simple, but joy is always possible. And as we step into summer, many of us chase joy through vacations and trips. What's vacation joy for you? Is it maybe a day off work? No work at all? Is it a slow day on a pier, hearing the water hit, and and you're just like, ah, this is vacation joy. For some of y'all, it might be Disney. That is vacation purgatory, in my opinion. (laughs) You pay a high price, and then you stand in line waiting, unsure if you're ever going to have any fun. What is vacation joy for you? Is it an airplane? Is it a new city? Is it a cruise ship? Is it a beach? Is it simply spending a day where you don't have a schedule or anything to do? What's vacation joy for you? Growing up, my dad was a dirt salesman, and he was a good one. My dad's territory for much of my growing up life was kind of southwest United States, and so Louisiana, Texas, west towards California, including Oklahoma and Arkansas and a bunch of other areas, right? And so our family vacations oftentimes included road trips where my dad was going to go sell dirt to people. And we would ride along and sit outside while he did his sales calls. And we were sitting in the Grand Squire, like baby blue uh, station wagon with the fake wood on the side. Never forget it. And we would wait for dad to sell dirt. And he would go in and do his sales pitch. And people would order dirt. And dad would move on to the next distributor. And that would be our vacation. And along the way, this is the 70s. Remember this. There was a place called Stucky's. Y'all remember Stucky's? 
Oh, yeah. That was the ultimate vacation destination back in the day. I want you to notice Stuckey's right here. They were famous for their pecan logs. They also had road games, like road trip games that you could get. And then what I loved is I used to collect snow globes. You know those little globes you get it like I'm in Arkansas now, so I'm going to get a snow globe and I'm going to shake it and the snow's going to come down in Arkansas. Like it ever snows in Arkansas, but that's what I collected. And so that was Stuckey's. And I want you to just notice one thing. It's Stuckey's. It was the ultimate vacation destination. And notice how many gas pumps there are. Like four? Well, today we have not Stuckey's, but we have... There you have it. Look at that. What's Bucky's known for? Bucky's is known for bathrooms, beef jerky, and beaver nuggets. That's what it's known for. And they've got a thousand gas pumps in San Marcos. And yet you still can't find a pump that's open and available when you want it. You know, Bucky's provided a level of joy for me when my mom was sick because I would travel to Dallas and on my way back, I would stop at the Bucky's in Luling. And I would need to find a little bit of joy or a little bit of comfort. And so I found my joy and my comfort in the arms of a beaver. And I, I could justify it. Hey, you know, it's been a trying time. You've earned it. You've got an hour and 15-minute drive, and it's already been a long day entering into a long night. You need a little energy. You need a sugar rush to get you home. And did you, did you know that on the front of the beaver nuggets, it it's like tells you what's in the package, and then on the back, it tells you why you should eat it? Have you ever noticed that? It says, best if eaten alone. Best if eaten and nobody sees it. If you're feeling down, eat the beaver nuggets. If you're feeling alone, beaver nuggets. If you're feeling like you're overwhelmed, beaver nuggets. This is a taste of joy. But let me tell you, this is an incomplete taste of joy. Because what we're going to talk about today is a joy that lasts even longer and is more healthy and more beneficial. And um, it's, it's so much better than a vacation joy or a moment of joy with some beaver nuggets. What we're going to talk about today is biblical joy. And what is biblical joy? I want to tell you two things biblical joy isn't before we jump into what it is. First of all, biblical joy isn't circumstantial. You get to the end of that bag of beaver nuggets and you're feeling guilty and sad and bloated. <laughs> Biblical joy is not circumstantial. Philippians 2, 17 and 18. Listen to what Paul writes. Even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you so that you too should be glad and rejoice with me. So Paul is writing this in a season in his life where he is far from home. He's in prison. We've set that up already. He's had people that have come against him, and that's why he's jailed. He is an innocent man in jail, and, and he also feels like he's about to die. He feels like he's coming to the end of his life. The language that he uses, he says, I'm being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice. I am being poured out. I am reaching the end of my life, but what do I have and what do I see in my life? I have and I see joy. 
My joy isn't based on where I am. My joy isn't based on what's happening to me or what people think about me. My joy is not circumstantial. My joy is something altogether different. He says, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. It says, would you rejoice with me too? Despite the circumstance, despite where you are, despite what's happening to you. Paul is about to die. Paul is imprisoned. Paul has people coming against him. Paul is far from home. Hear this. All of those things are true. And yet this is also true. Paul's joy was contagious. It is true that life is difficult and challenging and overwhelming. It is true that life isn't always easy or simple, but it is also true that joy, despite of affliction, trouble, or pain, is possible because of Jesus Christ. The second thing we learn that joy isn't. Joy isn't happiness, and you can fill in that blank. Sometimes we substitute joy for happy or happiness for joyfulness. But joy isn't happiness. Listen to this. Philippians 4, verse 10. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. Now he's going to go ahead and explain to us how the people of God are showing their love for him and what he's learned in this. Philippians 4, 11 through 12. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Paul is describing to us this reality. He was counting on some people to care for him in some real practical ways. And they didn't. But he said, it's okay. Because I've learned how to be content in every situation. Listen to this. Every circumstance. He knows what it's like to be in need. You know what it's like to be broke? Paul can relate. You know what it's like to have more than enough? To have plenty? Paul can relate. You want to know what it feels like to be hungry? And I'm not just talking hungry like I need a snack. I'm talking starving hungry, wondering where that next meal is going to come from. Paul says, I can relate because I've learned to be content in plenty or in want. I've learned to be content when I am hungry or when I am fed. I have learned to be content. And he's learned the secret of contentment. And this is where he finds his joy. Because if joy is based on it, like feeling good and feeling happy. No one's ever going to feel good and feel happy and say, you know what? I am dead broke. I am broke, broke. I am college broke, right? If joy is happiness, you could never be joyful and struggle financially. If joy is happiness, you could never be hungry and wonder where your next provision's coming from and be happy. You could never do it. You could never be hungry and joyful. You could never be broke and joyful. You could never be in a difficult situation and joyful. But Paul says, joy isn't happiness. Joy is something different. And he's learned the secret. And the secret is being content 
no matter what is happening to you. And what's the power that allows him to be content? Philippians 4, verse 13. I can do this through him who gives me strength. Maybe you've memorized Philippians 4, verse 13 this way. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Paul says, I've learned the secret to being content and having joy that's not just happiness and it's not based on circumstance, and that's this. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. When you are broke, broke, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. When you are hungry and and questioning where you're Next is coming from, you you can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. When you're facing an impossible, overwhelming situation, I can and I will do all things through Christ who gives me strength. See, Paul's joy is a contagious joy. It's the kind of joy that as we read, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. It motivates us and it challenges us and inspires us to take our next step in joy. I hung out with somebody this week that has that type of contagious joy. If you've been a part of Parkway for long, you know Hewlin and Barbara Howell. Hewlin is one of the most outgoing, personable, encouraging people that you'll ever meet in your life. When he worked in the plants, I'm sure that's exactly who he was and what he did for every man and woman he came into contact with. And Hewlin is in a season in his life where right now he can relate to Paul, where he feels like he's being poured out like a drink offering. He's not in prison, but he's in a hospital bed in his living room. He's not far from his family, but he's far from doing what he really wants to do right now. So I went to Hewlin, this man who's known for his joy, this man who's known for his encouragement. And I sat down to talk with him this week. And in fact, Hewlin wanted me to do more talking and him to do more listening. So you know what I did? I preached my message on joy to him. He went to sleep about two minutes in. <laughs> not really, not really. He was on the edge of the hospital bed listening because he knew what I was preaching to be true. That joy could even be found and encouragement even be had in a moment when you feel like you're being poured out, in a moment when you feel like it's all lost, in a moment where the only option you have is to trust Jesus. Joy is possible. And Hewlett sat there with his classic smile and his encouraging word and reminded me that what I'm preaching today matters for every age in every life stage. As I was going, he essentially cheered me on and he said, you go get them, Pastor Mike. You go get them. Tell them. And he said, I want my last breath to be telling others about the joy that's found in Jesus and Jesus alone. So you go tell them, Pastor Mike, and I'll be telling them too. Because joy isn't circumstantial. And joy isn't happiness. And that type of joy, when you know this and you live this, it is contagious. So if joy isn't happiness and joy isn't circumstantial, what is joy? First of all, joy is a choice. And you can fill in that blank. 
Joy is a choice. Philippians 4, 4 through 5. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Paul says here, rejoice in the Lord. Again, I say rejoice. This is a command that the, the, the tenor of our lives, the attitude of our lives, the choice of our everyday is to rejoice. Because joy is a choice. Let your gentleness, let the joy that Jesus brings be evident to all because he is near. Challenging question for all of us. What's the evidence of joy in your life? If we walked around in your daily life and just said, hey, we're going to do a joy audit. What's the evidence of joy in your life? I'm not asking, are you happy? I'm not asking if everything's going your way. I'm asking, are you choosing to rejoice in finding joy? Because as believers in Jesus Christ, there should be evidence of joy in our lives. One of the things that happened on a recent vacation of mine that was absolutely humiliating, our credit card uh, got flagged for fraud. And it was actually my debit card for the bank. And so, you know what they do whenever you get flagged for fraud with your debit card? They shut you down, and then they call you. And they ask you a series of questions. And so, Mr. Hurt, uh, yes, this is me. I give my secret security answers. Okay, we're all confirmed, it's me. And then they said, sir, it appears to have some strange charges to your account. Can you confirm these charges, please? Did you eat at a Heritage Ice Cream in Waco, Texas, three days ago? Yes, I did. That very same day, did you eat at Freddy's Custard and Burgers? Yes, I did. Did you drive to Lubbock, because we were doing a college visit, did you drive to Lubbock and then at 11.30 at night order Tiff treats with a half a gallon of ice cream on the side? Yes, I did. And she went through this list of all the things I had eaten on this little vacation. It was the most humiliating thing ever. There was clear evidence of my trip. What's the evidence of joy in your life? If we did a joy audit, would your joy be as clear to the watching world as my love for ice cream and hamburgers is? <laughs> to that fine lady at Prosperity Bank who opened my debit card back up so I could continue the journey. Amen. Joy is a choice. Second, Joy is to be pursued. Listen to this. Philippians 3, verse 1. Further, my brothers and sisters, this is a choice for all of us as believers. Rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Us choosing joy, us pursuing joy, did you see what Paul said? That is a safeguard for you and for me. Us choosing not to simply have our life defined by happiness. Us simply not allowing the circumstance of life to define how we see life. That is a safeguard for you 
and for me. And Paul says, I'm going to write it again and again and again and again. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Choose joy. Pursue joy. It is no trouble to tell you the same thing again and again and again and again. That's why the book of Philippians is so good whenever you're in a time when you need to be encouraged in the Lord. Because time and time again, Paul's going to ask you this question. Are you choosing joy? And are you pursuing joy in your life? You might even create a little list. What is it that adds joy to your life? And what is it that subtracts joy from your life? You might even make a a list, say, this adds, this subtracts. And I'm asking you to do it with a perspective different than what you may have seen on Netflix earlier this year. There's a Netflix special entitled Tidying Up Marie Kondo. You might have heard about this. And the the condo method for cleaning your house and decluttering your house and dealing with the consumerism that so easily attaches to our life, her method was very simple. You're going to hold up an item from your house. Maybe it's an old shirt in your closet. And you're going to ask this question. Does this shirt spark joy in my life? Well, no, it doesn't because it's three sizes too small and it's the style of yesterday, right? So it doesn't spark joy. So she says, if it doesn't spark joy, get rid of it. And you go through your whole house to declutter and to get away from consumerism with that simple question, what sparks joy? Here's the problem with that strategy. Your stuff can never, ever spark true joy. If that shirt or that purse, if that shirt or that purse or that lamp, if that shirt or that purse or that lamp or that new cooking uh, uh, gadget you have in your kitchen, if you look and go, that's what sparks joy in my life, friends, that's beaver nugget joy. (laughs) That's not lasting joy. And I remind you of this because joy found in Jesus is a safeguard for you and for me. So that we won't chase the joy in the things in the world that promise joy, but never produce it. Joy isn't found in a possession. Joy is found in the person of Jesus Christ. That's why Paul says, rejoice in the Lord. Philippians 4, 4 and 5. Hear it again. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. So joy isn't happiness. Joy isn't circumstantial. Joy is a choice that is to be pursued. The question, how do I pursue it? Pastor Chuck Swindoll put it this way. He says, the pace and the pressure of life often squeeze the joy right out of us. The pace and the pressure of life often squeeze the joy out of us. So how do we find biblical joy? How do we live in vacation mode and find joy? I'm going to recommend to you a few things. And we're going to move quickly through these. The first one is this. The first one is this. Leave your worries behind. So many of us miss joy because we hold on to worry. Anxiety is real. Depression is real. But I encourage you as you process life, To not let your worries define you, 
Don't let your worries determine whether or not you are happy and whether or not you can choose joy. We all have concerns. But worry attacks our head and worry attacks our heart. Listen to how Paul says to leave your worries behind. Philippians chapter 4, 6 and 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus. Paul says one of the ways that you leave your worries behind, one of the ways that you safeguard your head in your heart is to have a conversation with God. Instead of carrying your worries around, hand your anxieties to God. You want to kill anxiety? You want to kill worry? You want to kill the question that's always gnawing at you? Trust the one who's in charge. Trust the one who loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Because trusting the Lord guards our heart and our mind. When I'm in a situation, when I am lacking joy, I have to ask the question, am I trusting Jesus? Now, this isn't a hyper-spiritual or hyper-religious question. This is a very practical question. Am I trusting me or am I trusting him? Second thing that we can do to pursue joy and choose joy. Like any great vacation, get off the grid. We allow the pace and the pressure of life to squeeze the joy out of us. We also allow the focus of our mind and the attention of our heart to rip and to rob the joy from us. So Paul says, get off the grid. Get off the grid of your normal thinking. Philippians 4, 8 and 9. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, this is a great reset verse. Whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard or seen from me, put it in practice, and the God of peace will be with you. So somehow, some way, Paul is telling us as believers, not only do you trust your Savior, give him your worries, but you change your focus. You unplug from the stinking thinking that robs you and rips the joy from your life. And you replace it with the right thinking. This is a reset verse. So when I'm lacking joy, I've got to ask, what am I focusing on? Is what I'm focusing on true? Is it noble? Is it right? Is it pure? Is it lovely? Is it admirable? Is it excellent? Is it praiseworthy? Because this should be my focus. This should be my choice. Sometimes, friends, we need to get off the grid so that we unplug from the wrong thinking and plug in to the right thinking. So we're going to pursue joy and we're going to choose joy by leaving our worries behind by getting off the grid. And then lastly, we're going to come back to reality. Because this joy isn't a joy that can be scheduled in a time-off request. This joy isn't a joy that's limited to a long three-day weekend. This joy is a joy that works in everyday life. So we're going to come back to reality. 
And part of what we deal with when we come back to reality is that post-vacay depression. It's like, oh, I'm back in everyday life. I want to remind you that joy works. I also want to remind you that if you go on a fabulous vacation in your world, and you come back to work that next Monday, and you're like, hey, I need a vacation from my vacation, we all hate you. <laughs> and we, we want to take a vacation from you in that moment. Like, we don't, we don't want to hear, I need a vacation from my vacation. But we do need to know that you're coming back to reality. And as believers, we come back to reality with joy, no matter what the reality is. Listen to this. Philippians 3, 10 and 11. I want you to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection. And participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. See, Paul's redefining reality. And he's saying that every situation and every circumstance, every difficulty in life can help me be more like Jesus. And I can choose joy or pursue joy because everything is making me more like Jesus. I have a green Bible that was my first Bible I ever had. And I have these verses underlined with a blue pen in this Bible because it was so foundational to my new faith that no matter what is going on in my life, God's at work. So I'm going to come back to reality knowing that joy is possible. It's not always easy, but it's possible. Listen to this and be encouraged. Philippians 3, 12 through 13. Not that I've already obtained all of this or have arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, I love it. Paul's about to say the one thing I do, and he's going to give us like two or three things that he does. So he said, one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead. Paul says to come back to reality and find joy in that reality means we need to forget what is behind and strain towards what's ahead. When your past calls, don't answer. It has nothing new to say. I'm going to strain for what is ahead. And then the third thing he says to do, I'm not only going to forget, I'm not only going to strain, Philippians 3.14, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Friends, when we return to reality, we press on with joy because we have a goal that's to be like Christ. We have a goal that's to go to be with Christ in heaven. This press on, no matter your age or no matter your life stage, is what God has called you to do here and now. I press on and I choose joy. I press on and I forget what is behind me. I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. If my friend Hewlin were here with me right now, he would say something like this to you. Don't wait until you are constrained by a hospital bed to choose and pursue joy. Don't wait until you feel like you're being poured out like a drink offering to choose joy in Jesus. Choose it and live it now and be contagious. Press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold 
of you. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the chance to open your word and to learn and to grow together. God, I pray that you would inspire all of us to choose joy. Church, as you pray, maybe you need to just lay those needs before God right now. Those worries that are becoming anxious moments, lay them before God. Leave your worries behind. Maybe you need to look at your focus and get off the grid, church. Say, I'm going to focus on what's true and right and noble and trustworthy and respectable. As the church prays, if you've never believed in Jesus for life, I invite you to make today your day. The Bible says that you're a sinner who needs a Savior. But Jesus gave his life for you, died on the cross, and was raised again from the dead to give you life. And if you've never believed that simple message, I encourage you to believe it today. If today's your day, you can mark it with a prayer. You can pray. Jesus, I believe. I believe that I'm a sinner who needs a Savior and that you are the Savior of the world. Thank you for coming for me, for dying in my place and being raised again from the dead. Today, I believe. Thank you for giving me life. 